face to face, hand to hand, film to film. Welcome to the Film to Film podcast. My name is James. I am joined here by my good friend uh, Inyaki and Liniero. How are you doing, Inyaki? Doing pretty well, James. Doing pretty well. How about you? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Uh, we will be seeing each other in the flesh next week, so that's a uh, very exciting. Uh, rather than uh, via uh, Google Meet, which is what we've been doing for pretty much this entire podcast. So we've recorded for over a year, I think, as of a couple weeks ago. So kind of uh, kind of crazy, actually. Wait, it's been a year? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, when was our first episode? I think it was uh, the beginning of May last year when we did Mother. Ooh, wow. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 been a hot second for sure. Um, so uh, today we are going to be talking about a film called Torso. Um, so before I get into the synopsis, uh, Inyaki, what were your general thoughts on this film? It was good. Um, it... It... I, I think maybe I'm... Uh, I'm I might be getting tired of uh, this genre of Giallo's. <laughs> um, this one was actually the closest to... Well, this one is just... No, I, I keep on saying this, so I'm not going to say the closest. But this one felt a lot like, like a slasher. So I feel like, once again, uh, probably many of the American or Western... Uh, or, yeah, American slashers might have been inspired by this one. Uh uh, for sure, which is which is cool, uh, definitely has uh, that that feel. But I I think I'm getting I'm getting tired of uh, jealous in the sense that there is a pattern and <laughs> you know. Yeah, is this you subtly trying to change my programming? Uh, no, no. I mean, I mean, you. <laughs> I mean, we. You, you get to pick whatever you want to pick. I, I was just like when when I watched this, I was just like, all right, there's another person going to be killed. All right, very cool, interesting way of killing. Okay, there's a mystery. Okay, this this guy, this dude is the red herring. Ah, yes, he died. Uh, yep. All of the red, all of the dudes are literally the red herring in this film. Yeah, I mean, I I think I know what you're saying. I think especially for the first two thirds of this film, up until about the hour mark, it feels very by the numbers, uh, jello. Mm-hmm. And I think the last half an hour is where this film really stands apart. Um, yes, in my in my view. Uh, so. Uh, I don't think if it was for the half an hour, there's any world in which I would be bringing this on. I think you're also correct, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, sort of the relationship of this film to slashers. I mean, down to the title um, of Torso, it sounds like um, a slasher film, or it sounds at least very inspired by Psycho. Uh, This film, obviously, has been directed by Sergio Martino. We've watched a couple of his other films, uh, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and All the Colors of the Dark. And all of his other giallos, he kind of has five that he's really known for. Um, the case of the scorpion's tail and your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Those are the other two. And so this is this title stands out because it's one word and it's very short and it's to the point. Uh, so and it's also the last one of those. And I think it really uh, has kind of an interesting relationship uh, to the slasher genre. I mean, obviously, it predates uh, a film like Halloween by five years. And I think this is a year before Black Christmas, right around right. then. Um, and yeah, go ahead. No, yeah. So, like the the second half, or if you will, the uh, more importantly, like 
you know, the third act is probably the closest to a slasher altogether. Like, you, that's where you... I mean, I actually was, like, noting different slasher cliches yeah, on the third I, act. I and and yeah. I was just like, wow, okay, this is... Maybe this is literally the inspiration of all slashers, and I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it very well could have some what have been influenced. So supposedly this played as a sort of a double bill with a Texas Chainsaw Massacre when it oh. came through the U.S., which would be a hell of a double bill. That'd be a, like a, a very intense three hours to sit through, um, sitting through this and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, two very different movies. Yes, yes, for sure, but. I don't know. I, I, I'm a fan of both of those films. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so before we jump too far into sort of talking about slashers and all of this different stuff, uh, quickly, the synopsis, going to keep it brief. Here's the synopsis. A hooded, hooded killer with a hacksaw stalks college co-eds. Isn't he wearing like a balaclava? I wouldn't call that a hood. Okay. All right. Granted. Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I mean, basically, yes, you are correct. It is a balaclava. Uh, Actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Nathaniel, for clarifying that point. You're much appreciated. Uh. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I mean, look at that description. I mean, that sounds exactly like a slasher. You would yeah. not even think Giallo from that. So let's, let's just jump right into that, just because we're getting so much into that already. So... Mm. You can tell me what you wrote down as far as your slasher elements, but for me, um, I had sort of remote location, yep. the age, yep. uh, the fact that it's a bunch of college co-eds, uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, isn't necessarily the target demographic for most uh, slashers, but it's young women, basically, or very young females. Uh, they're, even at the beginning, there's sort of people uh, that are horny that are and having sex that are getting killed. Yeah. Uh, there's the mask. And we also have a final girl. So, I mean, it hits a ton of those points. Did you have, uh, what, what did you have on your list? So, yeah, uh, I had those. Uh, then also, you know, the final location being uh, a, a big house. Where, a big house. Um, you had the running up the stairs. That's a, that's a horror cliche that Scream made fun of. Uh, that's like, oh, I, there's a scary man around my house. What should I do? Run up the stairs to even more trapped. Um, yeah. Although I would argue in this case that what she did in running up the stairs is probably the only thing she could have done. Um, I mean, we maybe. We don't know where, where the killer was uh, digging, was like put, uh, dumping the, the bodies. Well, so, we heard him coming in, right? And that's why she was running up the stairs. Right, but but then he kept on going out and in and and and, and she she actually ran up the stairs when he, he he left. Like she was trying to figure out and then like she had two okay. choices. I mean, either way, she was limping. Like I yeah. mean, you, you cannot you cannot blame her because like she was in a very difficult situation. It, it was a defensible solution. A defense, defensible uh, decision in this case, I would Ex argue at least. Exactly, but but it is a horror cliche that it's sure, like sure. when given those two choices, you run upstairs is yeah. usually, and it's usually the wrong choice too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, so yeah, you, you, you have that. And then, of course, what this one is, like what distinguishes this one from uh, the slasher would be one, a guy saves her. Although slashers kind of have that too. But I mean, she doesn't save herself. It's uh, a guy save her, saves her. Uh, she's able to communicate with a guy somehow in a very clever way. And we're probably going to get that into that later. And uh, then you have the final final fight between the guy and the killer. And that, I would say, is more of the giallo. Right. I mean, it's also the whodunit element. I argue you get that in slashers, but I'd say that's probably more giallo than slasher, like just being loaded with red herrings and stuff like that. Uh, but, I mean, you get the, those elements in both uh, slashers and giallo. I mean, I'd say this is probably a film that, I mean, why, why do we have to pick one? I, I think it probably fits close enough to both genres. Mm-hmm. That, right, exactly. That, that I would call it both, uh, frankly speaking. So, yeah, that's kind of where I land on it. Any other thoughts on the uh, slasher versus um, Giallo film? No, I mean, I, I think you hit all of them. Like pr- the anti-promiscuity of uh, the killer. <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I always think of... Uh, the the anti promiscuity of a killer uh, I always think of uh, Jason X. Uh, <laughs> Do you ever watch that? Uh, no, I didn't. But it is on Netflix, so I was considering watching it. And then, so uh, yeah, go ahead. So just just to give you an idea, I mean, I mean, this is not necessarily a spoiler, but you know, in the future, in the space, in space, after being recovered, Jason wakes up. You know, by what? By a girl moaning <laughs> way far away. She just goes, ah. And then it echoes and goes through all the rooms until it gets to Jason. And then he just gets up and gets grabs him uh, the knife. <laughs> <laughs> so, like. Wow. I mean, they, they know what they're doing, right? Like, at that point, they know. It's like, all right, Jason just hates people having sex and doing drugs. The man is... Ted Cruz with the machete. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, if you transported him to 1970s Italy, he would have gone to town on some people. Well, I mean, these were all hippies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think Jason likes hippies? Oh, hell no. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, one other element I wanted to add just to the Jellos versus Slashers too is the explanation at the end, which I mean, personally, I could do with or without, uh, the psychosexual explanation it's a uh, it's very giallo uh that part of it i yeah and, and that i think it's almost inspired it's like we're talking about how giallo is may may have inspired uh slashers psycho definitely inspired that whole psychological explanation i mean i think you know psycho is yeah. kind of the basis for that the bullshit psychological explanation. Yeah, the psychobabble. I mean, in, in my opinion, for the worst, you can kind of enjoy those things as sort of like a kitschy thing, but I don't think, I think those are parts of these films that has not aged particularly well. At least that's my view of it. Yeah, this one was particularly like incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, something with dolls and eyes being poked out. I mean, honestly, uh, if you like that stuff, great. 
for me, that's like not at all part of the appeal of a film like this. Like, I I actually almost thought it would be something much more interesting. Like because they they were playing with the like whenever the killer was you know doing his thing, they would always cut to the doll, mm-hmm. and I always thought, huh. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the connection is between this and the doll. <laughs> and then you, you, you hear the connection and you're like, well, that, that, that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing the Italians really figured out was that, like, I will say this, the dolls are creepy. Uh, oh, yeah, no, for and, sure. And, like, poking out eyes. And the Italians really figured out that children's stuff put into this, like, weird murdering context works pretty well. Uh, yeah. I'd argue that stuff works pretty well. I mean, down to Dario Argento playing like children, creepy children's lullabies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this one also has that stuff. So, I mean, not a fan of the psychobabble, but the uh, the as far as like generating atmosphere and just being like, oh, that that seems really off. I think uh, it does its job in terms of that. For sure, for sure. Although it's just, I think the psychobabble was so weak that it, <laughs> it, it was just a little bit of a letdown. Like I, I, the imagery was beautiful, but the psychobabble is, well, eh, there's not much it, more to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's just total nonsense. Okay, um, all right. Well, uh, so this is the third Sergio Martino film uh, that we've watched. Uh, do you see any sort of through line out? It? How do you place it versus the other two? Or do you not even think of them in sort of that context? I did not. Actually, could you remind me of the other two? <laughs> yeah, so the other two we watched uh, as a double bill, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and All the Colors of the Dark. Oh, um, wait, the Strange Vice was uh, the the woman with, that uh, they almost killed, but they didn't, and they ended up with them. No, that's... Yeah, the three people, the, with Edwidge Fennec. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can talk briefly uh, if you want to formulate your answer uh, for a second. But yeah, I mean, sure. those... For me, uh, this one is definitely a bit different um, than his other four. Uh, Giallo is sort of in that period, uh, just in the sense that it is... Uh, I think one interesting thing about this is it doesn't have as much of a central protagonist that you're just following throughout the story. It mm-hmm. kind of switches in that sense, so I think this is far more inspired by Psycho. Um, it's also the one that wasn't produced by his brother, so I think um, probably he's just trying to mix it up a bit. Uh, if you look at sort of the life cycle of Giallo's too. Uh, he's made some during the very, very uh, high up golden era. Uh, so st- stuff like Strange Vice and all the colors. Uh, but just a few year- years later, this was released in 1973. The genre was dying. So I think mm. probably the need to sort of mix it up and try a few different things, I think, was there. And so I think that's why you end up with something that's, you know, trying. I don't think this film really pushes the boundaries, especially in that first hour. But I think the last half an hour um, is pretty celebrated. And I think deservedly so, because I think it's. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the last hour. I'll put it half hour. I'll put it that way. Minus no, the psycho babble. Uh, so, I agree. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that's kind of how I place it with those. Did Did you have any thoughts on Yaki? Um, I mean, in a way, I I think this one is le- less plotty, if you will. <laughs> like it, it, its plot is, is simpler, in a way. It's, it's a, it has much more simpler simpler plot than the other two, uh, and the, but the last half hour was indeed um, en- enjoyable or tense, if you will. Like it, it definitely brought emotions. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think you hit on something on that simple thing. I think this film, compared to just about every Giallo we've done, is 
very simple. The characterizations are not particularly uh, large. Like, we're not dealing with super complex protagonists or something like that. In that sense, it's probably more akin to sort of a stereotypical slasher. And I think it contrasts interestingly with something like Deep Red, which has a lot of like kind of complex plottings and stuff like that, whereas mm. this is very simple. Um, and I kind of admire that about that. Uh, and I mean, like that last half an hour, it's not doing anything complicated, but I think it does uh, it all in a very visual way. And for me, I find that to be very exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, this film was written by Martino and uh, Ernesto Gastaldi. Ernesto mm-hmm. Gastaldi has written a lot of films that we've watched. Uh, those two earlier, uh, Martino Giallos. He also wrote Almost, Almost Two Men. Um, <coughs> he wrote a lot of Giallos. Um, I'd say this is probably... Uh, he, he d- they do a good job. I, I'd say the plot largely makes sense other than uh, kind of the, the reason maybe uh, the psychobabble at the end. Uh, the soundtrack, interestingly, was done by people that are a little atypical to the genre. So let's talk a little bit about this. By the DeAngelis brothers, who um, I think were only in their 20s at their time. They hmm. actually wrote the soundtrack for um, Street Law. And so they're far known, far more known for sort of their um, uh, soundtracks to uh, Polizio Teschi's uh, rather than Giallo. So this is kind of a real change of pace. They did end up working with Martino later in a lot of his Polizio Teschi's. Uh, what did you make of the score? How did you like it? It was it was good. I mean, it didn't stand out to me. It was it was fairly serviceable. You know, like good old uh, 60s, 70s style, you know, music. Lounge music. Huh? Lounge music. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like lounge music. Uh, and then once in a while you do get like uh, a, you know, like the the, the, the suspenseful music. I, I, I think it was serviceable for what it what it was doing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I agree with you. There are some people that are huge fans of the soundtrack. I can't say that I'm one of them. There's one sort of musical cue. I think that happens right when, uh, the door opens and, uh, the killer comes in and we transition to like the next morning after they're all killed and stuff. And oh a nice yeah. Musical number there. Um, I like the way they use the score, especially in that bit. Um, and it's very, um, simply and subtly done. It's not overdone. Um, it's not my favorite Jalo score. I mean, it's that doesn't say much because like these scores, some of them are just amazing. Um, I, I think this one's just pretty good. Uh, is mm-hmm. I guess how I'd rank it. Um, but it does sound a little different than sort of your Marcone or uh, Luis uh, Bacala type score. A um, mm-hmm. little more of that rock uh, influence, I guess, something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah, okay. Uh, so I think one of the things this film does, and I think it's pretty clear that Gastaldi and Martino were really interested in this, is not just in that last half an hour, but it does like a really good job of just like generating um, a lot of suspense in just mm-hmm. like a lot of scenes. Um, like for me, uh, one of the memorable ones is just that first uh, car scene uh, where they use the car lights to light the site. Um, and the camera is it's just very patient in how it sort of lingers and follows and looks around. Uh, and I really uh, thought those things worked well, even on the pre-suspense um, scenes, uh, pre-last third act scenes, like running through the muds and stuff like that. Did anything like that stand out to you? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I noticed how there was a very good use of the space. 
mm-hmm. of showing you, I mean, to, to add to the suspense, showing you how alone and secluded the characters were. I mean, in the first kill where Flo uh, and her, her boyfriend is ki- are, are killed, you know, like, you're under a bridge, but it really t- lets you explore the entire location around the car and how much and how little you could see at the same time. Uh, so yeah, very good play with uh, with lighting, with exploring the location itself, and uh, and then that mixed with the uh, the sounds. I, I think made it, a, it makes it a very effective you know scene. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Were there any other uh, sort of? I think we'll talk about the third act separately. But were there any sort of standout scenes in the first one, first or second act? Uh, the well, also the the the, I mean, the swamp murder scene. Indeed, that was that was another one in for where on one hand it actually also met one of the cliches from uh, from a slasher film. Uh, you have, you know, you have the I forget the name of the car- uh, Carol. You know, when Carol is just like walking through the swamp and then she sees the killer and then she looks the other way and she just looks again and the killer's no no longer there that's you know a very classic uh slasher since the killer is a magical being that can be there and then disappear without you know (laughs) yeah yeah i mean they did that also with like the uh car lights where the car lights get turned off and she looks and the killer's gone. And I'm like, how the fuck does anyone move that fast? I mean, it's literally spatially impossible. Exactly, uh, but 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 that's that's <laughs> but, a but classic. it's effective. I, I mean, I, I still dig it. I, I support it. it it's it's a, yeah, but that's a classic. Like because uh, I mean, when I when I say cliche, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. First of all, because these are older than the cliches were, you know, exploited. Right? Uh, <laughs> these are the the beginning of those cliches, but. Uh, you know, you got that, uh, and then what? What I liked about the swamp scene too is that I do love when they mix the old school horror with uh, the the slasher. Well, in this case, Giallo, but like the the swamp is you know you you got that uh, fog come like you got that fog everywhere, so your vision like your, your visibility is bad and. Uh, and then you got this character, this this magical killer that you know pops up, pops out. Uh, I mean, all of that is very good. And then, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that we're gonna go into the brutality of all the death late death later, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these deaths have, um, you know, we can get into that now if you'd like. But these deaths definitely uh, have a little bit of extra uh, uh, to them, uh, especially in terms of like, I don't know, just uh, kind of sexual brutality, frankly. Uh, speaking um anyways please go yeah no for sure I, I mean i was thinking like the swamp death is is probably i think the, the the harshest one because you know like she's strangled with a scarf and drowned in the mud of the swamp and then after she dies is when you know the the killer because i mean the killer's mo is that after killing his victim right he would get them topless, poke their eyes, and then cut them open. Yeah. yeah. And and he does that to to all his victims, I think. 
Well, Other except than for, maybe the male ones. I think he also he still he was also shirtless, and I think he oh, was cousin. Was he? Yeah, they just don't okay. show him doing it. But like, the the scene, you know, the next scene where you have the the detectives there, like you see him shirtless, and I think he's cut open too. But like, they're just not. I mean, the only the the the, the people who who he didn't. Like there's one person who he he does not do that, and that's uh, the Stefano. Oh uh, well, yeah, there's Stefano. Or, although we don't know, right? We know he cut cuts him up later. That's true. We see the face only yeah. at the door, so we're so not sure. I, I think Stefano to him was also a doll. Uh, no, I was thinking the um, the um, the sales the sales guy. Like oh, the the, the, the shop scarf owner. salesman. The very sleazy scarf salesman. Yeah. The guy where if you were a cop and you looked at that guy, you're like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that this guy is up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every single... This movie... like In this movie, every male character was sleazy as fuck. Yeah, it's like promising young woman. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I mean, quick side note. Uh, uh, yeah... Last night I watched uh, Wonder Woman no, uh, two, uh, like nineteen Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four or whatever it's called, uh-huh, uh-huh. and all the male characters are as sleazy as is, as in this movie. <laughs> like they're all like trying to hit or rape someone, hit on someone or rape someone. It's a bad movie, by the way, but it is funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I the movie makes a real point of that. It's like all of the male characters in here are varying degrees of like up to the uncle who is like a right. peeping Tom who's is like that. And it's like the locals who are never – those are the male characters who are not red herrings. It's like those guys are just like <laughs> – this guy's – their dialogue is almost like hilariously leery. It, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty – Right. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like I'm, I mean this is – Again, getting off topic, this will be the uh, the uh, Sergio mansplaining uh, moment here. <laughs> well, this film is directed by Sergio, so there you go. Oh, there you go. There we go. The uh, the moons and the stars uh, align just for you. Excellent. So, as a mansplaining moment, one <laughs> uh, one thing about this film that um, caught my attention is. So we're talking about how every man is leasing this movie. And you could say, well, then the movie is being, you know, it's criticizing the culture, right? Mm-hmm. However, the film itself definitely ha- it male gazes. Oh, for sure. Every, yeah. Everyone. So as an, as an audience, I feel like, you know, I'm one of the peeping Toms too. Like... The, the the this director I mean the male gaze in this movie is fucking insane I mean the uh, so you know if if the director had a point like wanted to make a point saying all men are pig um, I feel like he failed because the movie itself is male gazing as fuck <laughs> so I'm not I, failed I but, but he, he did not compromise I, I I mean I agree it compromises the point I don't think it makes it totally fail. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear uh, from the film that uh, that he does not like. Yeah, the the film is very male gazy for sure. Uh, I agree with you, and I guess we just kind of disagree on 
how much that compromises uh, what they're saying. I mean, I think it's still feel very totally clear that like he's deliberately showing all the male characters as very sleazy and leery and uh, pretty problematic in a way. I, like, I don't think he's necessarily condoning that. Does he compromise that by having sort of a leery camera? Yes. I don't yeah. think it totally ruins it, though. In my view. Like, I, I think that message still comes across. Like, the fact that you were able to watch it and be like, I, I think you're looking at it from a very 2021 lens. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and this is the mansplaining moment, right, of the segment right now. Uh, <laughs> you're mansplaining male gaze to another man. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, but, but, so this is where, you know, like, I'm going to use terms that uh, I myself, I don't 100% agree, but don't 100% disagree, which is like the whole quote-unquote normalizing and all that. So one of the intents here, sure, is to show that all men are pigs. But at the same time, uh, it's kind of played off as a comedic thing. Like, it's like when you're hearing the, the, the man talking about, you know, the, the girls and the ridiculous shit that they're saying. Uh, they're like, yeah, it, it's played more as, as for humor than than as for you know, like than as for like this is bad. And 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 again, I understand if we're looking in in the eyes of its era and the intent of the director, everything is perfect. Yeah, but I mean, you could make the same point about promising a woman. I mean, like a lot of those lines made by males are also played for laughs. Oh no, for sure. But then, prom- promising young woman did not have the male gaze. So I'm talking about like if you put all of those things together. I, I mean, I, I think the male gaze makes it worse. I, agree. I I don't. I think we largely. I think we like ninety percent agree. I think we just are varying degrees of critical of uh, our dear friend Sergio Martino. <laughs> In our Sergio mansplaining moment. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which I don't even know what that means here. I think that just means that Inyaki can talk for three minutes without being interrupted. Uh, <laughs> is that what that means? <laughs> well, Isn't that what we agreed on? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Every every uh, every episode, Inyaki can just raise his hand. He's like, oh, it's time for our Sergio mansplaining moment. Brought to you by Sergio from Inyaki's life. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right <laughs> there you go all right all right um okay well uh yeah i mean the the guys in this film including those are all pretty bad ben uh in, in the way they're showed uh and that also does the double feature uh in more of the plottings of the film of making them all pretty legitimate red herrings what did you make of that aspect did, did you find that stuff uh I mean, you, it sounded like you may have found that a little bit tired just because you've been watching so many giallos, but uh, did you... Uh, yeah, I, I mean... What were your thoughts? I mean, my thoughts was like, okay, so it's either Anthony, I think is the name of the dude? Uh, Stefano? Stefano, sorry. Stefano. It's like, all right, it's either Stefano or the professor. Those were the two people <laughs> who I, I, I thought of. Not the doctor? Uh, no, not, not the doctor. I mean, I consider it like, it's like, if the doctor is the one... I'm not going to be mad or not mad, but I'm saying like, I, I, I'm not going to be surprised, but I think it's a professor because <laughs> dude, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he also seemed a little too nice. Like he's the one that seems comes across better and like he, he's the least leery of them 
in a way. Yeah, he is. But at the same time, like, I don't know, I was just thinking of his lecture on, like, the overly judgmental point of view of art in, in like, and I think there was, like, a little focus on, like, the sexual aspect of this Renaissance art. Okay. And then someone goes like, oh, yeah, but, I mean, it was to represent God and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, the person was atheist. It's not about God. It's about, you know. And you're like, okay. There, there, there's something about this dude. Yeah. You know, I, I you should uh, watch all lectures that way. I'm like, something's with this dude. And uh, give him a DSM diagnosis from that. Uh <laughs> It's like, uh, will he okay. be the killer of a slasher film? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, if this is a Giallo film, I think he's a red herring, but he might be the killer. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, yeah. Uh, so I guess with the first half, uh, for me, it works pretty well. Uh, most of it, it's pretty standard stuff. I, I think it's mostly decent setup and stuff like that. I do like... Hell, I do like the, sort of the setting of this town. One interesting fact I looked up is this is actually set in Perugia in Italy, um, which is a college town, and then they go sort of to the more remote countryside. Mm-hmm. Perugia, interestingly, is also uh, home to one of our uh, uh, to was where uh, our college colleague, I should say, Amanda Knox was when oh. uh, her whole drama went down, which I thought was just kind of a, a funny. Uh, well, maybe not funny. Certainly not funny for Amanda Knox. So my apologies to you, uh, Amanda Knox. But uh, because she uh, she listens to this podcast, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Uh, but I thought that was sort of an interesting con- connection. Where I was like, ah, that's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine though? Like she actually were to listen to our podcast, she'd be like, wait, this James Shergan and Iñaki Linero, uh, <laughs> uh, went to UW. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, I definitely don't want to meet him now. I mean, that's probably her worst time of her life, <laughs> studying abroad with you, Dove. Dude, I, I still, I remember uh, when she was acquitted, I knew people who were like, no, nah, she did it. And I'm like, she, she, she's acquitted. She was acquitted, so. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's crazy when people judge afar. I mean, if you look at the actual explanations of stuff, I mean, these guys would get, might as well have been writing a Jalo film. I mean. It was pretty like crazy psychosexual stuff. If if you think about it, n- now that you mentioned this, and I I know right now we're in ta- a tangent that is so far from this film, that whatever. <laughs> it is, but yeah. but all, all I gotta say is the Amanda Knox case. And again, we I I, I apologize if you know we're, we're bringing any uh, trauma or PTSD to you, Miss Knox. Uh, but but this is this is we're doing a trigger warning for just Amanda Knox. <laughs> That's at the point we are. Okay, please go ahead. No, but it's worth an. This is worth of analysis. Okay, we we've watched Polizioteskis and Giallo films, and in both of these genres, one common denominator <laughs> is that the police, uh, the police, the detectives, and all their legal system. And justice system is crap, and you know we 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 we've been especially with the police detectives we we would like discuss this a couple of times saying like yeah but it can't be real it can't be like that, and then you had the Amanda Knox case, where 
all the evidence was contaminated one way or another. They got the wrong person. They came up with a crazy fucking theory when, you know, you just have to look at what the was there. Evidence. Like the yeah. hard evidence. No, the, the cops came, the detectives came with a crazy theory. They threw the book at the wrong person and all of that. <laughs> like when you think about it, all of that. And you're like, shit. Maybe this Giallo's and uh, and uh, Poliatzetskis are actually a reflection of the Italian justice system. Maybe. <laughs> so you could see that two ways. You could be like, "Oh yeah, these these things are reflecting critically on the police or whatever," or you could say maybe the police inspector had watched too many Giallo films, and they're actually the cause and the reason that he uh, went after such a bizarre. Uh, reasoning uh, in terms of going after it. <laughs> yeah, maybe one we day we have we'll, some hot takes today. One day we will find out. Like the the prosecutor will be interviewed, and he's like, "No, but when I was twelve years old, I watched all these movies, and that's all in my head. It's all yeah. in my head. That's why yeah. I had to prosecute her because she was a sex sex killer deviant person." That's why, <laughs> you know, like just just like yeah. a giallo explanation. <laughs> yeah, complete with all the same psychobabble. Like, was the psychobabble better in this movie or in the Amanda Knox trial? I don't know. It was I, bad in both. I know. Um, well, Italy needs to fix that. That's all I got to say. It's one way or another. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we have uh, spent uh, plenty of time on Amanda Knox corner there. Uh, okay. Apologies, so. There. <laughs> so anything else you want to cover before we get into sort of the uh meaty stuff that third act uh no let's uh let's jump into it okay cool so i think uh the third act so it ends with sort of that knock on the door so one thing i really liked about the knock on the door is they actually had a very tense moment uh before on the knock on the door when jane came up uh was driven up by the car mechanic to mm-hmm. knock on the door so there's actually a moment where they're like oh fuck Who's that? And then Jane calls out. And so you hear the knock on the door again, and it's a repeated action from that time. Only this time, we actually see Stefano, and he falls on them. And I think the film does a really interesting thing where it cuts away, and we don't actually see the three murders happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for, so I wanted to start with that. Uh, what did you think of that decision by um, uh, Martino and Gastaldi to just uh, sort of fast forward to the next day rather than showing you sort of the gruesome details i kind of liked it um i liked it for for a couple of reasons one of them because uh it makes the next morning where uh i forgot her the, the character's name jane when, jane yeah when jane wakes up um more disorienting like because she's disoriented like she wakes up she slept in uh, you know, she had taken pills the night, the night before with alcohol. So, like, she was really out. And you're kind of with her. Like, you don't know what happened. All you know is that the killer came in and he had killed uh, Stefano. And, and that in the next morning, he was burying. Bur- yeah, burying Stefano. And that's all you know. And Jane knows just a little bit less than you. And that I thought was really nice because then you get to live her experience. Right. 
Right. I mean, that decision alone is a pretty unslasher-like decision where, you know, a lot of the point is to spend on sort of those gory details. I also really like that decision. I think it's a great way to sort of throw your curveball and keep you a little off balance because you're like, wait, what? What just happened? Um, And also to that point, I will say, too, that uh, we have Jane and Danny. And to that point, I actually thought um, this is the second time I viewed it. So the first time when I watched it, I thought Danny was actually more of the main character. Mm -hmm. So when Danny dies uh, there and we see her sort of stumbling around after already been sort of stabbed, uh, I thought uh, I was like, oh, shit. And it it was another way that this film sort of uh, threw a nice little curb and twist at me. Uh, that I definitely had not been expecting and sort of like its own psycho moment, right? Uh, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, on seeing Jane's reaction to the corpses, and seeing Jane's reaction to Danny basically dying also adds a little plus to the horror. Like, I almost feel like there was more horror on this in, in not showing you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, this is played by uh, Susie Kendall, who we've actually seen already in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, where she had, I think, a much more thankless role, uh, uh, playing the girlfriend of uh, Tony Misante in that film. Uh, this film, I feel like uh, she gets to do a lot more, especially in that last third act. Mm-hmm. I think she's really uh, up to the part i think she does a really good job a lot of what she her acting uh is uh just acting like first discovering her friends and then trying to act resourceful and stuff like that and i think it's easy to sort of fall into that like screaming stuff uh scream scream queen or whatever you want to call it but in this film she really can't because uh she's she's being stalked and followed and i think she does a fantastic job just like physically acting uh without like audibly speaking uh with her eyes Mm -hmm. uh uh, in that last act. So I have a lot of uh, uh, respect for her performance in this film. I mean, this is probably one of the best performances we've seen in uh, in, in any of the Italian films. Because, uh, I mean, she even does the whole, like, like, you know, yeah, you know how they say that crying for, a, like, an actor crying is, you know, like, crying for an actor is like a, a, a show of good acting. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's another saying that's basically is an actor showing that it's about to cry and holding it up is even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and that was sort of like many parts where she was sort of doing that, where she's just in shock, horror. She wants to cry, but she can't because the killer is right there and she has to hide from him. So, yeah, no, it's very solid. Yeah. Yeah, um, and like the whole sequence where then she has to run back up and stuff like that. I think this is some of the best uh, work that Martino has done, uh, mm-hmm. period, just the last half an hour. Um, I think it's super memorable. That That's that's literally the reason I wanted to bring this uh, film on, just because to, to show that part. Uh, the rest of it is built up, um, I, and I think it's fine. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's particularly great either. Um, yeah, so uh, I like the way that we sort of like eerily uh, stalk her through the house. I think it does a good job of just choosing great camera angles, having a lot of like objects in the foreground and stuff like that, keeping mm-hmm. that sort of voyeurism. That voyeurism is sort of p- present, I feel like, throughout most of the film. Uh, it does a good job of just kind of 
having that camera that makes you feel dangerous when it's not getting too male gazy on you. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, at this point where uh, a lot of the uh, sexualized stuff is done with, I think I think it really does shine. Um, were there Ooh. any moments during this sort of this third act that really stood out to you? Uh, obviously, the key is something we will be talking about because I think that's. I'm not going to say a key moment, but a pivotal moment uh, in, in the film uh, that stood out. But besides that, I don't know which, what is the key, so I, I'm, I might say that. So uh, if we're talking about like uh, her characters, I mean, character-wise, uh, the agency built on her to basically figure out how to communicate to the town. I thought that was, I mean. Outside of the killing part, right? Like, I thought that was a very clever mm-hmm. thing, both in the writing uh, and uh, aspect of it uh, that I, I was not expecting, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she uh, has to think for herself and on her feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that. Uh, when it comes to maybe to piggyback on, I don't know if the voyeurism, but if it's the word that I'll use, but uh, I'll use. But, but yeah, let's say on that. Um, how we we sort of you know we we don't see the the dead bodies i mean we only see them at the beginning but then we don't see them anymore because she's hiding and so you're with her and you kind of see what her perspective and her perspective is like maybe one leg uh you know the 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 killer is sawing the parts yeah uh and i mean you don't get to see the, the the full sawing but you you get to experience that horror once again and and you realize why the film is called torso then yeah because he you know they're all dolls yes and again i I do like the 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 connection again the 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 psychobabble is stupid but i do like that connection (laughs) i i mean i'm pretty sure they went around this the way they're like ooh, dolls are creepy uh let's make some humans as dolls and then let's figure out the the explanation after and uh, (laughs) i think that's how you end up with a film like this yeah uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. Uh, uh, and uh, you don't know the moment with the key. Uh, so, I mean, she goes up into the room. Uh, she obviously has to make it look like she's not there, which I think is really smart, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they thought through a lot of the details for this, so I think it's really expertly plotted. Um, but the moment where um, the door gets locked, so she needs to poke oh, the key out. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, she sorry. pokes it out, and... She's, she puts the paper there to try to get it, which is smart. But the killer sees it, and he puts the pa- key on the paper. Yeah, he helps so her out. So she gets it. Yeah, he helps her. Um, I thought that was, like, an insanely uh, good... I, I that That's, like, a moment of euphoria for me. I'm like, wow, that's, uh, that's fantastic. I mean, I don't know how they came up with that. But, uh, I mean, unsurprisingly, Ernesto Gastaldi was also the guy that wrote about the Ice Cube and Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. Uh. So, so... Uh, I thought it was really a, a smart way to go about that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, I it's funny because like that was as soon as the guy did that, I was like, it's a professor. Uh, <laughs> to me, that was like, like the the solidifying before they show his face. Because the fact that she was alive, the fact that her her like I think he knew she was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Plot-wise. It's possible. He, I, I think he knew she was there from the beginning. In fact, I think uh, 
because her alarm clock didn't go off. Right? Mm. Like, she's like, oh, shit, I slept in. And, like, kind of looks at her alarm clock and, like, you know, nothing had happened. I think the character knew she was there, turned off the alarm clock, and then just, you know, went to town with uh, the other girls. Because originally, I think he thought she was a quote-unquote good person. Uh-huh. So he thought maybe he could get around killing her? Yeah. I see. And then when he noticed that she's freaking out and, you know, rightfully so because he killed her friends, he was like, oh, you're one of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to me, when when the the key, that key moment to me, plot wise, actually made sense in the sense that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a that's a professor helping her out because, you know, he probably is in love with her or some bullshit, unlike with the other ones who hmm. to him are just sexual objects to be killed. Interesting. Uh, I did not see it that way, but that I don't see why that would not make sense. So, uh, you know, maybe Nathaniel will call in at some point and be like, Nyanki's a fucking moron, uh, and here's why. But I don't see uh, why that's wrong at this point. So, mm-hmm. interesting. That's an interesting interpretation. I had not thought of that. Uh, <laughs> but that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that moment is good. I mean, the part that I don't need is, like, the last five minutes where there's the actual fight and stuff like that. For me, personally, I could I would have been okay with it if they went sort of that stereotypical slasher route where they actually have her uh, take out the killer somehow. Yeah, uh, me too. I would prefer that. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, I, I guess I can live with the ending where the doctor comes up and quote-unquote saves her. I don't I mean, think it needed that. It's probably one of the weaker moments of the film. Indeed. I, I think as a giallo, you kind of had to have that, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> I believe that it would have been a stronger ending had it been the like maybe the doctor gets there he distracts the killer and then she kills the killer even that might have made it stronger uh yeah i mean if this film had been made after halloween i think there's no way they would have done it this way i think they would have done it the other way well i mean halloween uh dr loomis is the one who shoots um michael myers in the head okay fair point if they had made this film in 1985 after slasher boom i think they probably would have had her at the bare minimum do more yes yes indeed and i mean had she killed the killer actually she would have had more agency than many of the last girls in Mm -hmm. Until, 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 you know, Friday the 13th, where, you know, the last girl literally <laughs> decapitates uh, the killer yeah, in the first okay. one. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I would have preferred that. Um, not the end of the world. Uh, for me, a lot of the fun it happens before that. But, I mean, kind of like Psycho, it's sort of a, a letdown explanation. Like explanation and ending. Yeah, I I think it's also it's a little bit anticlimactic. Um, yeah, even the fight, because you don't care fight, about the doctor. You don't care about the doctor. You barely know the doctor. So who gives a shit? Um, and, and also, um, 
you know, like I know that they would try to do the suspenseful thing where one person dies off camera and you don't know who, and then the doctor comes in and you're like supposed to applaud. But A, you don't know the doctor, so you don't really care. B, then you don't, you didn't even get to see the fight because the fight yeah. basically is off camera. So it, yeah, it, I mean, come on, into at least like don't torture a duckling. Have yeah, that body like, hit every fucking stone all the way down. <laughs> and, because this and then be, have the locals <laughs> have some commentary on it. Like, yeah. what the fuck do you think happened to him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have like, you know, the guy eating, just like a guy eating bread or like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, like just looking, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, have the locals leer at something else. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're going to go the route of, especially, especially when you're at, at a cliff, because that that uh, house was at a cliff. I mean, the ending could have been better. We 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 both agree on that. Yeah. One way or another. I will say, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say the one moment I do like is where the uh, the doctor does come back. I think it does, and you're not sure who it is. I think that part works just because the whole time, just because of all the red herrings and stuff they're throwing at you. That's the one part of it I'm okay with. Uh, the rest of it, I I think I largely agree. Yeah. Although, what if the doctor was the other killer, and that's why he could switch around? <laughs> Would have been a twist. That sounds more like a Argento film at this point, rather than a, a good old simple Sergio Martino film. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean uh, that the ending again. I think it was a little bit anticlimactic, but uh, whatever. It, it's the the third act was very solid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. I, I think that's the only bad part of the third act. I think the rest of it is pretty much. Uh, I wouldn't change anything about it. Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to add uh, to our conversation, sort of on that uh, third act part, the last half an hour? No, I think uh, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, you also did want to sit, talk briefly about uh, the uh, sort of violence to corpse after they're killed. Or did you not want to talk about that? Oh well, I mean, we, we talked about the the swamp kill, and, the, and I mean, uh-huh. I kind of I kind of did say what I was gonna say, right? Like the treatment of of of, of people of, of the women's bodies uh, as dolls. Um. So yeah, you you got that. Um, also, I mean, can we talk about the running over the? Uh, yeah, Lisa yeah, Merchant. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, this was a fun dummy use. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on board with just about everything with the dummy. I don't know if the technology super holds up in 2021, but, uh, you know, they uh, they went the extra mile on him, too, in terms of just, like, running over him with, like, a plastic version of himself. Uh, yep. So. Uh, and, like, twice. Yeah. What, what yeah. I love, though, is that, I think they break the dummy's head, right? It kind yeah. of explodes. But then the very next scene, his head is the, again full because it's the actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those fun things that's fun. And, uh, oh, it's not that good, but... <laughs> it it adds nice. to the mythos of... <laughs> or, <laughs> it's a plus. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I mean that was that was probably the one that was probably the most similar to like an Argento sort of kill, uh, where you cut like that. I think it probably would have had more money for a better dummy, but still. Yeah, I, I mean, it reminded me of the priest when he was falling. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just bummed out that we missed out on the falling off a cliff and we didn't get that moment on this film. Maybe they didn't have money for, uh, you know, the paper mache dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently not. Um, okay, well, um, you know, I think that's most of what I got for this film. Um, I have been watching a couple other films by Sergio Martino recently, and he uh, he's interesting because he's kind of an interesting um, counter, uh, different director than someone like Dario Argento, who's more or less stayed in horror and giallo films uh, for all of his career. He's really bounced around. He did some sci-fi. He did some politioteskis and stuff like that. I think he's just a generally solid craftsman. Mm. I don't think he's like a master filmmaker or anything like that, but I I do... uh, I've enjoyed all of the jellos I've watched from him, and I I think they're all uh, certainly worth seeking out. Um, Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Okay. I I uh, do have a question. Sure, So there is a scene in the movie on... So to me, most of the guys... I mean, one of the reasons why I felt like all the guys were kind of red herring they all kind of looked at, look, looked alike too. Yeah, yeah. They had the same hair and all that. So there was that scene of uh, of the guy who got the prostitute. Uh, uh, Stefano. It was that Stefano. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. What about him? Was that scene necessary? <laughs> uh, probably not. I mean, that's just kind of establishing your chief red herring uh, for the film because I feel like. Up until that first hour, until we see Stefano die, uh, he's probably still like our number suspect number one. Yeah, no, that's true. I agree. Which which makes you know that he's definitely not going to be the killer because mm-hmm. he's never suspect number one. I know. Or yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. That scene is kind of throwaway. I, I I agree. Probably could have been cut. Uh, what item would you take from this film if you could take anything? What item? Shoot. So, a doll, uh, the key, ski mat, uh, the uh, baklava. Uh, scarf. Wait, was it a, a red and white scarf? Or no, was it like... Uh, red on black or black on red? Yeah, I was just like, God damn it. Like, that was one of those moments where I'm like, I, where the, even the guy explains it. Yeah, and you thought it was the red and black one when mine is the black and red one. And I was just like, okay, this, you don't need to say that. Th- those are the moments where you, you don't need to say it. I like the scarf, though. Th- those were cool scarves. Yeah, it is very um Jalo moment where they're doing it. Oh, but it was black on red, not red on black. <laughs> um, I, might, I'm, I might keep a scarf. Okay, which one? The red, red herring or the real one? They look the same to me, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Different design, man. Either. Okay. How about um, you? I'll, I'll take a doll with the eyes poked out. <laughs> you know, I'll put it right next to... What did I take from Profondo Rosso? Uh, deep Red. I forget what I took, but I'll put it next to whatever that was. Uh, um yeah. it's funny i i know a guy who like has one of those like doll heads uh-huh. and he built like a spider thing on the bottom and then took the eyes out and put like lights in it mm-hmm. uh and this guy is a stage manager now mm-hmm. 
and like yeah he puts that like whenever like even, big show like even like a fucking big concert at Sasquatch he will have that that doll like at a corner where no one like sees it and he will always take a picture of it so you can see the doll watching a show <laughs> like like and that's what he posts like in Instagram and stuff like that and the doll is creepy as fuck because it's that kind of doll yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I mean these guys were early on the creepy doll stuff yeah uh, way ahead of the conjuring and annabelle and all that stuff i know i uh i mean it reminds me that doll actually kind of reminds me of um story story one because you got you had like a creepy doll too like a doll head and things like that i don't know dolls are creepy like i think everyone knows that those old school dolls are creepy oh yeah yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so last thing. Uh, we're going to do uh, who won the movie. I'm going to actually change this to so you could give. You don't have to give it to a person. So you could say, uh, what, what's, the, what's the best thing about this film? Mm. Like, what makes this film? I'm doing that so I can choose the third act, by the way. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> coward <laughs> weak <laughs> um i will say the if you want to pick that i'll switch it up too no no the final girl the actress uh her acting Susie kendall Susie kendall yeah good choice yeah she's great i think she's i, I agree i think she's i was trying to think what other uh, performance we've seen in these giallos or italian films in general that hold up and you know Acting is not the strong suit in a lot of these ones, but she's really, really good in that mm-hmm. last half an hour. She's very likable, too. Uh, I mean, her characterization's pretty thin, but I think she holds up real well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick the uh, third act. Uh, I think it just uh, it's really good. I think it holds up against uh, much better films, I think. I think that is the reason to watch this film. Um, for me, uh, the first two-thirds of this film is like a six or a seven out of ten. Uh, the last third act is... it's. It's closer to a 10 for me. Um, okay. Uh, rating. What do you got? High 7, low 8. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I am going to give it uh, an 8.5. I'm just going to, rather than being like an 8 or a 9, I'm just going to say 8.5 is what I will give it. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, uh, yeah. It's I, funny I, how we never talked about uh, the gratuitous use of uh, nudity in this film. <laughs> Yeah. women nudity. Want, I mean, do you we want talked to close about... on that. <laughs> it is gratuitous. It there's is gratuitous. Lot, yeah, there's a lot of it. So if you're into that, uh, uh, this might be a good film for you, I guess. <laughs> it's very male gazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just like, I wanted to point out. It's like, yeah, there's. Yeah. <clears throat> I just, I just don't know if I have much to add in that, other than yeah, uh, there's there is a lot of it. Uh, and, like uh, unnecessarily it's like oh yeah people shirtless people there hippie party yeah. with shirtless people and people having sex at a hippie party yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's that and then yeah I, and, I mean like even the go ahead i i mean sorry it's just like that that scene where you were where at the hippie party i know like we were closing but that scene in the where like everyone's just doing drugs dancing naked and like having sex um it made me think a lot of um 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> and how, you know, like, uh, you have Brad Pitt and, you know, DiCaprio's characters being like, <clears throat> fucking hate hippies. Uh, yeah, it's another anti-hippie movie. <laughs> kind <one>. of. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say that it, it made you think you were born in the wrong era. No. No, that, that party looked gross. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the, the men in that party were scumbags, too. Uh, I mean, like, the two that she escaped from were... Right, but I mean, crap. but the party itself was... It's just like, I, I don't know if I would be comfortable at a party that, I mean, you know, where people are having sex, like, right next to me. No, I, I don't think I would either. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, maybe if you do enough drugs, it's fine. Uh, what random question? We're really getting off tangent while we're closing. So if you want to turn off and listen to our next episode, that's cool. Uh, but what time do you think that was in the night? Uh, I heard a discussion on this. Do you think because like the sun is sort of coming up at the end there? Like is that like four a.m. in the morning and and the sun's starting to rise as probably as uh, four or five? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what the culture is in Italy, but like in it's common in Spain and Latin America at least. Mm-hmm. For parties to start like around midnight mm-hmm. until last yeah. five hours, so yeah, so so it makes sense. And I mean, this is also a hippie party, so they're they could very well be going even longer. What do you think they were smoking? Because it did not look like weed necessarily. It kind of looked like cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was intended to be weed, but probably <laughs> Martino didn't know <laughs> what that should look like. Uh huh. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. So it was it was uh, cigarettes. Ooh. I just saw my notes. Something I I wanted to mention. Just put it in uh-huh. there. Maybe hear your opinions. So this movie was very open on showing, you know, <coughs> boobs, people having sex from afar. Yeah. Etc. But there's a scene where you know you have two female characters kissing, mm-hmm. out of what looks like love, like they mm-hmm. were like look like they were girlfriends. Yeah, and, they were a couple. And that one scene, their their kiss is actually blocked by an object, by uh-huh. like a lion statue or something. And when it starts moving away from that object, then it goes blurry. Uh-huh. Given that everything else was so gratuitous, do you think there was some some sort of uh, you know censorship that maybe in that era or even today made it? Because I mean, like I realized that I've never seen people, I've never seen same sex kisses in any of these giallo films. You only see hmm. it in like, or you 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 might see heterosexual like sex in mm-hmm. Giallo's films but I've never seen same-sex couples actually kissing <clears throat> well we do see them sort of going at it after that uh, but it's blurred window. yeah that's true um, I don't know you might be onto something I mean, yeah. I, yeah I just thought it was curious for a film that it was so gratuitous and on, uh, on everything else like yeah. to blur that uh, I, I, was, I thought maybe you had some information on you know yeah, I mean, it certainly could have been censored or someone, maybe. I mean, it could be as simple as, like, a producer's like, oh, just blur that part uh, uh, because we don't want to run into this. 
and it could be a simple decision like that i don't know uh, mm. so i'm not sure but yeah i mean that's an interesting observation you had yeah i mean it's like doing the chain the the chinese censor treatment <clears throat> where it's like oh there's a gay character all right they're not gay how do you do it cut off all the little scenes where they seem gay <laughs> they're brothers done <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i mean yeah it's a john woo movie they're all brothers it's just very homoerotic <laughs> <laughs> anyways that is a different podcast for a different day um so thank you everyone for tuning in to torso any last words in uh <laughs> no <laughs> okay great uh well thank you all for tuning in uh and do you know what we're watching next time no <laughs> There you go. Uh, so you can send us an email at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at zafilmtofilm. Uh, yeah. yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, Indeed we do. We will uh, be back in a couple weeks. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao.